Hello there. This is an incoming transmission from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome to the Credible Nerds podcast with Mark and Justin. This is the podcast you're looking for. Don't go about your business. Stay here. Well, go about your business and listen. And then you can move along. Move along. And may the force be with you, always. Welcome, everyone, to the Credible Nerds Podcast. My name is Justin, and as always, I have my co-host with me, Mark. Hey, guys. How's it going? And today, we're going to be covering The Mandalorian Season 1, Chapter 1. And I believe it's just titled The Mandalorian. So we'll be reviewing that. Uh, it came out last November, November 2019. And it was released on a weekly basis. And we were able to watch that uh, for the next month and a half, I believe. I think there were eight episodes. So we watched it oh, for two months almost. So uh, we'll get back to that and revisit that starting with Chapter 1. Uh, w- today we have a, a great guest host panel. Joining us today to talk Star Wars The Mandalorian, uh, we have Harry, all the way from Michigan. How are you, Harry? Doing good, thanks. Hi, guys. And we have Blake, who's a big-time Star Wars fan as well, joining us. Hey, everybody. And last, we have Nathan, who wants to collect a a Mandalorian helmet someday. (laughs) And some Miami Vice memorabilia. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, today we'll be talking Mandalorian. It's been a few months, but I rewatched it uh, the other day just to refresh my memory, and it's just as good, uh, what, four or five months later as it was when we first saw it back in November. So uh, now that we know the whole story, uh, as as far as the first season goes, uh, it still holds up pretty well. I was enjoying myself watching that. So can't wait for season two. Season two drops uh, in the fall, but we'll see with the coronavirus stuff, if that affects the production at all, if it still will come out in November. But as for now, it's due out uh, November 2020 for season two. So for you, Mark, uh, we watched, we were actually at Star Wars Celebration in April of 2019, and there was a Mandalorian panel, and they showed a few clips from from that show and a behind-the-scenes video as well as Dave Filoni, John Favreau, Pedro Pascal, Gina Carano, and Carl Weathers were there at the panel and they talked about the, the film. Um, so revisiting and thinking about that, how did it, how did this first episode live up to the hype that we saw at Celebration for you? Oh, for sure, right? Just, just exactly what you wanted. Uh, the Celebration came out and it was mind-blowing. Um, just, you know, some of the Sequences that they showed, they showed the one clip where uh, he meets with, no, I can't remember his name, and gets the bounty. And, uh, you know, to go to go find uh, Baby Yoda. And it, that, that was amazing. And then to watch the whole episode, you know, the very first, when he first walks in to collect his first bounty. I mean, it was just awesome. You know, from beginning to end, uh, just action-packed, exactly what you want. Um, I think that... Uh, we saw some cool things that one Mandalorians are freaking badasses, right? I mean, they don't mess with the guy. And two, I like how they made it. He's not immortal either. 
right? He kind of, he, he takes some bumps and hits and things like that and needs some help and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I just think it brought a lot of cool elements. I, I sometimes I have a hard time with the Jedi because they're kind of like Superman syndrome a little bit, right? Where they're just too good. You know, I mean, one Jedi is going to go in and kill 10,000 troopers and, and game over. But uh, I, I just thought that they played it really well. And I mean, after the first episode, I became really annoyed because I couldn't watch the other nine or seven or whatever, right? I couldn't watch them all in one go. I had to wait till the next week. It was horrible. But uh, it was amazing. Yeah. So it lived up to the hype for you. Oh, yeah. But far, by far. Yeah. And for you, Harry, what were your first impressions of this first episode of The Mandalorian as we were introduced to him and the world he lives in? Um, I was blown away. It was everything that I hoped. I didn't actually watch it until January when the entire season was out. I was deployed all through December, so I skipped the beginning of it knowing that I wasn't going to be able to see half the season. So just waited till I was back to watch it. So um, I wasn't like Mark. I didn't have to you know, wait another week to watch the next episode. And I watched it straight through over a couple of nights and was just blown away. Um, the, the trailers that I had seen leading up to it got me excited. That one scene where the uh, stormtrooper helmets are on spears um, outside like a, a, a habitat. I was just like, whoa, this dude is cool. And then that, the, uh, the fight scene right there at the beginning, you just see him take on a bunch of guys who think they're tough and just destroys them. And, and not just shooting them all um, or tossing a thermal detonator and, and diving out of the way, just innovative. You know, he spares the guy and pulls him through a door and then shuts the door on him. How cool is that? I mean, that just tells the whole room, don't mess with me. I'm going to take you all down. And he's mysterious and he's quiet and obviously very well respected. And then you just get to see it from the bounty hunter side. Bounty hunting is, is an active thing still. They're still going after him. They're still clients. And um, I kind of want to get a puck and go after people my, myself. I, <laughs> I think it'd be good times. I loved it. It was great. Yeah. And for you, Nathan, in watching the episode, um, what were your thoughts about just kind of the environment that we were introduced in this first episode and the situation of where the galaxy was at and where the Mandalorian fit in? Did you like it? Was it well written? All that stuff. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, Right from the get-go, I was uh, equally impressed and excited. Uh, the production value you could see uh, was right on target. And, uh, and I loved the opening scene, the homage to the old Western with the dirty cowboy walking through the proverbial saloon doors to see the, the local bad guys roughing up uh, the local or what you thought was the, the local and uh, and then the music uh, just added that ambiance you know you, you felt like you're in an old western town with tumbleweeds you know blowing across the street uh, and and the music just lent to that and so uh, uh, you know I felt like we were out in the outer uh, out in the outer worlds in the uh, outer rim place in the Star Wars universe where maybe a lot of the uh, what had happened in the main stories was kind of so in, in the distant a great distance away and, and these were people who kind of just lived on the outskirts of that who may or may not been entirely impacted by the Empire uh, but I love the timing I love that you know the Empire is is basically gone away and and in the world's it's kind of an old West every man for himself a survival mode 
great setup. I love the practical effects, a perfect mixture of digital and practical effects, great music. Oh, what a what a great way to start off uh, and was impressed right from the beginning. Okay, good. Uh, for you, Blake, what were your initial impressions of the, this first episode and did it live up to your expectations? And well, did you have any expectations going in? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't really educated myself on on the Mandalorian storyline and and so I I didn't have a lot of expectations but and I wondered how it would do as a series and would they really invest in it and everything and I think like everybody else said I was pretty blown away you know I I think that the tone was right it was slow and calculated and, and as far as building up throughout the episode but at the same time right there at the beginning that that first scene in the bar what was a good time right yeah. And, uh, you know, he roughed those guys up, he, he beat them down. And, and they, I thought it was funny, though, because uh, of the group, the one guy who tried to hightail it out of there, he like lassoed his leg, pulled him halfway through the door and chopped him in half. The other guys just got a bloody nose or whatever. <laughs> and the one guy trying to get the heck out of there, he's he got the worst of it. But um, it was, uh, yeah, really, really cool to watch. He kind of got a feel for him that he was kind of the anti-hero and that's that's what he was going to be. And, and so it was a good time. Uh, I'm still pretty surprised that they haven't figured out uh, how to put a sensor on those doors. Even as a kid, I was scared to death of the Star Wars door. <laughs> thought somebody's going to get chopped in half and I finally saw it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they're pretty quick. I, I think that... The beginning was a for sure tale that the Mandalorian is more awesome than Han Solo because there was no controversy on who fought first. <laughs> Just say it. Yeah. So we're introduced to the Mandalorian recovering a bounty. And we're, we're shown like how that process works, which I thought was a good setup um, where they just showed it to us instead of told us about it. You know, he's hired, they give him a puck that has the, the information, a hologram of the face and things like that. And they give him a chip. There was a lot of, I had to rewatch it a couple of times to figure it all out. But there was the puck with the, the bounty information and then had a chip. I think it's a, well, isn't that the chain code? The chain code, yeah. Yeah. The chain code had more information on where they were at currently, I think is what it was. And that was the question I had is, well, how do they know where they're at? Like, how does that work? Is there a, does every person in the galaxy have a tracking device on them? Or you know, how do they determine that? Do you guys have any thoughts or insight on that? Did you figure that out? I don't have any insights, but I had the same, I asked the same question and, and there's another piece to it and that's the tracking fob. And I think that's what you see him holding at the beginning Yeah, is the tracking fob, which I think holds the chain code information in it but I'm, I'm just guessing uh, and that's how, but, but how that information is obtained because we know that eventually when he goes to speak to the client about this new bounty, he's told that there is no puck and they only have the last four digits of the chain code, but they, he does get a tracking fob. Uh, but I had the exact same question. Uh, does everyone walk around, have their DNA, so to speak, so to speak, somewhere where it's just so easily readily available that anyone can be tracked. Uh, that doesn't seem to make bounty hunting all that difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> but, could do it. 
yeah, anyone could do it, but, but there must be more to it than that. But, uh, and I don't have the answer. I don't have an answer to your question, but I, I have the same kind of question. How, how does that work? Yeah. I think that's yet to be revealed if they do it at all. So, but it, it is interesting how that works. So it's cool to see how the, the whole process, you know, there's a main guy who has all these chain codes, he's running the show. And my thought was, well, how does he get them? Do people contact him and say, Hey, you need to, bring this guy in, here's some money. And then he turns around and hires a bounty hunter. So it was just really cool to see how that whole process works and something we haven't been exposed to before. It's some of the daily going ons of, of bounty hunter life. So I thought that was, that was pretty neat. So then he, he uh, brings the guy in and also the, the blue fish guy that they brought in, he froze him in carbonite, right? On his, on his, he had like a, a portable carbon freezing table or whatever it is. So that was pretty cool. Big throwback to Empire Strikes Back, obviously. But um, so I, my question was, is that the standard? And then that's where Vader got it from, the idea from? Or did the bounty hunters hear about it from Boba Fett? They're like, oh, yeah, that's a great way to transport bounties. You know, Was it the chicken and the egg? You know, which came first? You guys have any thoughts on that? I kind of thought that that's what it was, is Boba Fett had pulled it off once. And other people heard about it and thought, hey, this is kind of a cool thing. I don't know, in my mind, in, in seeing it, the, the Mandalorian uses it because he's got a decent-sized ship, but it might not be for everybody. He's a little better equipped and a little better prepared, and he's maybe a little better of a bounty hunter, and that's how he does it, but maybe not how everybody does it. Just kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, maybe there's a tie-in, like, since Boba Fett was, I don't know if he was part of the Mandalorian culture or what, that's kind of up for debate, but maybe Boba Fett talked to his fellow Mandalorians and that's, you know, a Mandalorian thing, Mandalorian bounty hunter thing or not. So I just thought it was a cool concept that they brought in. I agree with Harry. I think it's something that was kind of like introduced in the Star Wars trilogy with Han Solo and it kind of caught on and kind of caught on to other bounty hunters who maybe looked at that as a, a safe and easy way to transport their bounties. He's, uh, it says that he's, in, when he's speaking a, a different language, it, it describes it as uh, Hatties. So I think we learned that that planet is probably in control of or controlled by the Huts. And, uh, and so maybe somehow from uh, that, that's how that information got passed through, is through the, uh, the crime syndicate and ultimately uh, became kind of a norm. That's an interesting way to think about it, yeah. So he brings back the bounty, gets paid. He goes from there to meet with um, the old guy, right? And that's where he gets the, the new bounty with just the, the final four digits of the, the chain code. And what was that guy's name? So the Apollo Creed was Grief Cargo. And then the other old guy, he was, what was his name? So in the first episode, they only describe him as the client. The client. Okay. So he goes and meets with the client. He gets the information and he gives them a down payment of a block of Beskar steel, which we are hinted, he's hints at that uh, Beskar belonged to the Mandalorians before it was stolen from them. So he takes that Beskar back and he goes down to uh, meet with his, his fellow Mandalorians. We're introduced to 
quite a few. Uh, we're not introduced to him necessarily, but we see them as he's walking down the corridor. Then um, he goes and meets with this armorer who melts the Beskar and creates a, a pauldron for him. Uh, so we right away, first episode, we're introduced to this Mandalorian culture, this Mandalorian group. For you, Mark, any what were your thoughts in, in seeing all these Mandalorians? Were you, a lot of people thought they saw Boba Fett down there. Uh, we saw some kids running around with helmets on. You know, what were your thoughts on seeing that? I think it was cool because we don't really know much about the Mandalorians, right? We kind of assume that most of them or all of them are destroyed in the Mandalorian Wars, uh, things like that. Um, so you assume that there's maybe one or two, but when you see it this way, you see that, hey, this is just probably one clan or one group out of many. And, you know, the Mandalorians probably exist in a far greater capacity than people realize. And only a few of them go out and earn money or do whatever and bring it back and put it back into the clan and uh, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and um, it, it, was, it was pretty cool to see that and to see the different types of Mandalorians, right? It was like, it's not like it's, it's all the same. They're all these, the same type of warrior. You know, you had some with jetpacks, some without, some that are like that real big guy with the big stinking tank armor, right? You know, it, it was just neat to kind of see that and that they're pretty diverse group with all, you know, with the same goal and goal. So I, it, it was cool to me and to find out about, like, I, I can't remember what he calls them, not the younglings, but, you know, when they get them when they're young and brings them in and stuff and kind of uh, the foundlings. Yeah, the foundlings and, you know, how they're recruited and how he wasn't born Mandalorian, but he, he can become Mandalorian. That Mandalorian's not a race. It's a, it's like a way of life. And it, that was, that was pretty cool and eye opening and, you know, opening the door to the Mandalorian world. Yeah, open a, a big door to what the potential is for them. Because uh, before, you know, initially we only saw Boba Fett and then Jango Fett, and then we learned they're, they're not really Mandalorians. They just wear Mandalorian armor. And the Clone Wars introduces, introduces us to the Mandalorian people, and all the warriors look the same. They all have the same armor, same gear, same coloring, all that stuff. And then here it's it's completely opposite. It's everyone's different. You don't have to be this group of people. You can just volunteer or agree to live the way of life. And then you're part of the group. You're part of the Mandalorians. So hopefully they expound upon that in future seasons or episodes. So we can learn a bit, little bit more about that. Uh, you know, they, they describe the group as a coven, I think, yeah. know, later on. What it, it appears that this group that's living, so to speak, under the, under the village it appears they're there in secret yeah. and, and that the population, uh, the general population of the, the town isn't aware that they're, that they're there. But clearly you can see that they, they act independently, uh, uh, but they also have a support group. Quite potentially, these, there could be multiple covens or groups throughout the universe. Um, and they all kind of have gone in hiding, so to speak. Uh, so to hide their numbers ever since the Great Purge, is, uh, as is described in the series, uh, and as we see the, the Empire emblem, you know, on the, on the Beskar that, that he, it's handed to him. Uh, so it's interesting uh, to see that there might be this underworld or, or hidden world of Mandalorians 
uh, and there might be a lot of them, but they're kind of living in secret to hide their numbers. Yeah, that, that was a big reveal, I think. It sets, it lays a lot of groundwork, sets the tone for other future episodes, and I think we will see other groups um, as, as the season goes on, or as the series goes on, I guess. So that was, that was a pretty cool thing to see there. So he gets the, the pauldron. The armorer asks him, have you gotten your signet yet? Has it been revealed to you? And at first I was like, what? What does that mean? Um, and we find out later what that means. But So there's this culture. There's this process. It's almost like a religion. And seems to be pretty well thought out. And I think that'll be revealed to us as we go on. But then he takes the, the job and he heads off to this planet. Uh, did they ever reveal the name of the planet? You guys remember? I don't. I didn't catch it. Not that I saw. So he goes and he he ends up meeting this little guy, this little creature guy, um, and that's where we're introduced to the phrase "I have spoken," which you know became <laughs> instant hit, and everybody was saying it. You know, the next day, it's still kind of in the Star Wars vernacular. Yeah. So uh, is the character's name is Quill, played by Nick Nolte. Yeah. What a, what a good character. Yeah. Nick Nolte, he hasn't looked that good in a long time. <laughs> yeah, it was weird seeing or hearing his voice come out of that guy because, you know, you, Nick Nolte's not that short. <laughs> but yeah, it, I thought it was a good character choice or voice choice for that character still. But um, so when we met when we met Quill, what did you think of of him, Blake, and kind of who he was, what he represented, and just his overall look and feel. Yeah, I mean, he was so so. He was kind of just this, uh, and and I can't remember kind of his backstory. I think he kind of regained his freedom, went back to his 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 home planet, and and he just wanted to live peacefully. And and uh, so he he seemed like a good-hearted guy that just just wanted to take care of home. And and uh, so you know he he was willing to help and kind of a, a gruff mentor and 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 uh yeah i liked him he 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 was fun to see on the screen and and to watch them interact and i liked him yeah i thought they made a good team so quill teaches them how to ride this blurg and they head off in the desert to go find the bounty and they find it it's this uh compound compound <laughs> so they, they find it and it's a compound full of nictos uh, we were we saw them in Return of the Jedi and Tatooine in Jabba's palace, but it's just full of Nictos and they're heavily armored and protecting the bounty. And I guess it sounds like people have tried to come in and collect the bounty before and have always failed. So we see the Mandalorian sitting there scoping it out, and all of a sudden this IG unit shows up, and they end up teaming up, and they have this uh, pretty cool laser battle to defeat the Nictos. What were you guys' thoughts on on this IG unit, this assassin droid? I mean, we saw one in Empire Strikes Back, but he just kind of stood there, didn't really do much. But here we have a full-on assassin droid taking out Nikto's and the bad guys working with the Mandalorian. Yeah, that, I mean that was fun to watch. He was a he was a cool droid. He was spinning all over, shooting off, you know, in all directions, and, and taking out all sorts of people. It was it was fun and. It was, uh, who, who was the voice of it? It's, uh, Ike Waititi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
so that that was kind of cool to see too i'm a pretty big fan of him i watched jojo rabbit a few weeks ago and um i i watched what lies in you know what we do in the shadows you guys watch that anyway he's he's pretty cool and uh it was cool to see him there and and uh a fun character to watch yeah i thought it was an amazing sequence right just people getting shot everywhere and i thought it showed like how deadly bounty hunters really are right as a profession um it's not just like a normal guy is just going to be like i'm going to be a bounty hunter um give me a mark and you know like these guys were awesome for a reason and then you got ig88 coming in or not ig but you know and comes in and man the guy's like almost uh invincible right stands front line taking shots mandalorian smart he's like yeah you walk out there i'm gonna stand behind this pillar here and do my business and uh it, it was neat it was, it was pretty cool and they they did some damage thought it was pretty cool too um just a, a throwback to empire when you see ig88 for the first time but also showing the technology differences ig88 stood there because they couldn't do anything else right he was too skinny to be a man in a costume and would have been too obvious as a puppet because he was so big so he really didn't have a part but here we have a same series of of droids and so we get to see him in action. So that was really cool. Um, and just seeing these two bounty hunters just tear apart this whole big group. Um, I tried counting the shots the first time I watched it, like how many people that they, they killed. Um, I was like, geez, this is a, a John Wick movie in the Star Wars universe. Uh, there's bodies there everywhere. But it was very cool and you know, interesting to see these two bounty hunters doing their thing and just tearing this group apart and improvising and, and uh, using every weapon at their disposal. And I did love uh, IG-11 and it's like, well, I'm about to get destroyed. So this goes against my, my protocol. I got to blow up. It's like, no, no, you don't need to blow up. No, I need to blow up. Um, and that was just uh, some good humor thrown in there too. Yeah. You went into self-destruct protocol like four times, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, it, it kept coming up. Yeah. One thing that really stood out to me that I recognized right off the bat was how, how Western it was, this, this whole sequence, you know, the old Western towns and the shootout in the, on main street and the bad guys in blacker and the tops of the houses shooting down at the, the heroes. And it was a really good space Western. This whole sequence was, so I really enjoyed watching that and the, the new take on it. Yeah. I really liked it too. And, and uh, what was, and it was interesting so to find out or to be, it was surprising to find out because the show or the episode sets up this, this, uh, that the Mandalorian kind of has this behind closed doors bounty, but yet we discover that this droid is there and he's there representing the guild and, and his bounty is, uh, to not capture the asset, but rather to kill the asset, uh, yeah. and not to leave it alive. So, I uh, I immediately had some, you know, that causes some questions. Uh, who has hired the guild to seek after this bounty? And are they up in opposition to the client and who he represents and for the Mandalorian and who has hired him to also get this bounty? And it, it appears they might be working for the same individual, but obviously I don't, I don't think they are. And they may even be working for competing forces. Uh, so that was interesting, and I'm kind of waiting to still find out what the backstory behind that is. I don't know if that's been revealed yet. Yeah, the client was part of an Imperial Remnant, 
So that begs the question is, is each Imperial remnant their own entity now, or are they all tied together loosely somehow? Or, you know, what's their situation? That'll be interesting to hear about. And then, like you said, uh, Nathan is, you know, who's this other group? Is it the rebels? Is it somebody we've never heard of? Well, and who had hired the mercenaries to protect the bounty? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. and the, the, who's behind the money to, and why, uh, what are they protecting them from? And, and are they, do they represent the rebels or are they just guns for hire? A lot of questions. The, I think the hard part too is what's canon and what's not, right? There's a lot of information out there about the the different moths, right? And so if the empire was to fall and there's a lot of these grand moths or moths out there, then there, I could see that there's a lot of power vying groups with no with nobody at the top. So you could see how, you know, they'd be fighting against each other. But is that canon? Is it not? We don't we don't really know. So I, but I'd like to think of it kind of like that, that there are moths warring against each other and that Moff Gideon happens to be, who we see at the last episode, happens to be making a power play of some kind uh, for for Baby Yoda, right? So, I mean, I, I, I don't know, though. Um, it'd be interesting to see what the answer is, but it's just so hard because Disney has decanonized so much. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, why was the the, the asset, the child, there? And how did he get there? Who brought him there? You know, who's in charge of him basically? And why is he just there by himself with a bunch of guns for hire? You know, yeah. who's feed, who's feeding baby Yoda? Come on. And, and, and Quill makes frogs. a reference. I didn't see any frogs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and Quill's character makes a reference that there have been bounties who have come before the Mandalorian who have tried and failed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, clearly he was kind of tired of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the guild is clearly someone's going through the guild and sending bounties or hiring bounty hunters to go get to fulfill this bounty. And yet we have the client who's doing a separate, what appears to be a separate transaction and hired the Mando and, and knowing that it will get done. And then of course the doctor, you know, and then the client even says, you know, we, we prefer it alive, but dead is okay too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On a side note, the doctor, now that you brought it up, um, he was wearing this uniform and he has this patch on his, on his uniform that is from, that we see in episode two for, with uh, clones when they were like, Obi-Wan goes to tour the facility and check on the clones and they were wearing these jumpsuits that were similar to what this doctor was wearing. And they have this patch that's the same patch that the doctor was wearing. So there was some, there's some tie in there, whether he works for the Kaminoans, he was a cloner or, or what. But I think that is yet to be revealed, but I thought that was very interesting to see that. How Kamina was destroyed though, right? I don't think so. I think, uh, I think there was, I know there was a battle there in the Clone Wars, but that was what, 20 years before episode four. So almost 30 years ago prior to this, this show. So I don't think like the whole facility and I don't think everything was destroyed, but there was a battle there. Yeah. So I, 
I want to know what you guys think. I think it's the biggest question that anyone asks. Who is Baby Yoda? Right? Is it? Yeah, I've always said I think it's a a clone baby, just like Boba Fett was. You know that Yoda made a, a clone of him that was a perfect clone that could grow up and age normally. Uh, there's the one out there. It's just its own Yoda character. There's some people that are saying it's a Yoda Yaddle love child. Um, we don't know, right? I mean, no, we don't know because we've only seen three other Yoda, baby, you know, Yoda characters: Yaddle, Yoda, and then one in Knights of the Old Republic, which is not canon. But we've seen three, so we know nothing about him. But you know, what's your guys' take? What do you guys think this baby is? Its own character, or is it somehow linked? I kind of, I don't know. I, that's a good question. I, I mean, there's there's such a significance to him that it's hard to think that it's just a baby from that species, right? It seemed to baby Yoda that it's got to have a connection to Yoda himself, I think. That's kind of where I'm coming, or what I think. So like he's a clone or a son of Yoda? Yeah, a clone or an offspring, something like that. Okay. I have, my theory is completely made up and, and not based on anything other than just my opinion. And I, I don't think we, I think he's from the same species, but I don't, I don't think he's a clone. And I, I certainly don't think he's a love child. Uh, I think he comes, I think he comes from the same place that Yoda and Yaddle came from, but he's his own person, wherever that is and how, and how come there aren't more of them? I, I don't think we know, but, but for however he showed up, he showed up. And, but I do think that that is, I do think that's that's the goal, right? I do believe that uh, the power struggle and the forces that be are are wanting him is that they do want to potentially do some genetic testing, possibly cloning, and get that uh, that side, uh, get the force uh, on that side, so to speak. I, I don't think there's really much to the backstory other than as far as the origin goes, as far as any type of cloning or uh or offspring to any characters we know i think he just his own it's his own person and he just came from wherever they come from and he's shown up here i tend to agree that uh, he's his own person and just by making it a yoda ish character it just it puts it into the spotlight and everyone's talking about it it's all over everywhere because everyone wants to know and um, they're laughing their butts off sitting in the design room, you know, writing about it. Like, Oh, they have all these theories and they're all nuts. And it's just going to come out that, yeah, he's from, from this world, possibly the last one. And that's what the interest is because yeah. of Yoda, but not necessarily, you know, related to Yoda. I tend to think he's an offspring of Yoda that um, he's force sensitive and that they're the cloning doctor there is, they're running tests like what you were saying earlier, Nathan. They want to figure out how to clone him. They want to figure out how the force works. You know, there's the whole concept of the midi-chlorians and the prequels, and they want to capture sample DNA samples and figure out how, how they can manipulate that. That was a big part of a big storyline of uh, the force unleashed with uh, Starkiller, right? He was a clone that they were able to clone. So the idea of cloning force users has been around for quite some time. And even in some of the previous books, like with um, the first Thrawn trilogy, 
Um, they were, there was a Luke clone. There was a, a Chancellor Palpatine clone. And so this idea of cloning force users to create an army or create a super soldier type thing has been around for a while. And I think they're, they're putting that into the spotlight instead of it being in a comic or a book or a video game or something. But you know, that's my personal theory. I, as far as I know, they haven't revealed anything as to where he comes from or what his deal is. And that's part of the mystery. And I like it. Yeah. Part of the mystery. And as Harry mentioned, the fun of it, right? Uh, why does everything have to be connected to something? Why can't we just have something completely new with a completely new origin and and now we have something new to be interested in and to follow instead of just tying everything back to he he could very well be related to yoda but i, I would hope not an offspring direct offspring one thing i noticed about this series uh is it looks like star wars it sounds like star wars you know it feels like star wars where Part, I think part of the disconnect with the sequel trilogies is it a lot of times they didn't sound like Star Wars. There's very subtle sounds like a blaster fire, a door opening, a trooper talking, you know, whatever the, those little small details that they're very prevalent in this, in this series. And so that to me, well, it does connect it to the original trilogy and, and the prequels. And it just creates this ambiance that you just, you're instantly connected because you've watched it growing up all your life. And so there's no difference there. And I looked at the credits and the sound design that the people in charge of the sound effects and things like that are the same people that worked on the prequels who worked with Ben Burt, who was in charge of the sound design for the originals and the prequels. So there's this lineage there and they, you know, they delivered the same sound effects throughout this, this song, this uh, series. And that really connected with me and I think made a difference for me. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on just kind of the general feel of the, of the show and uh, how it takes, takes you back to the previous films? Yeah, I, I feel like that, like you said, you know, it's the little things, the sounds, the pace of the movie, the, you know, just things like that. I feel like the last three um, were almost rushed in telling or something like that. So you've missed a lot of those little details that help make Star Wars, Star Wars. And so, uh, yeah, this, I mean, I felt like definitely I was watching a, a Star Wars movie, even though there's no Jedi, even though there's none of that going on. Um, I just felt immersed in it. You know, I'm like in the, in the world of the Jedi and I, I really enjoyed it. I felt the same way. Um, just really immersed in it. It was all of the little details. It was the throwbacks, um, the weapons, um, the sounds, the, the look of the planets, the look of the people. Um, there was just, there was so much, I mean, they could have gone with a totally different race for the people holding the child's but they didn't. You know, somebody made the conscious decision to grab the, the people that were Jabba's guards. Um, obviously guns for hire, but, and let's use them again because it, you know, it's a detail like that, that a lot of people will miss, but real fans, um, they're going to see it and be like, this is awesome. It was all of that. And even his ship, his ship is like something we've never seen before. And, um, but it just, 
the second you see it, you're like, oh, that's a Star Wars ship. You could have seen the clip completely unrelated to the Mandalorian, and your first thought would have been, that's a Star Wars ship. Not that that's a Star Trek ship, or not that that's a Firefly universe ship, or The Expanse, or, or something else. Just immediately, like, that's a Star Wars ship. And um, there was a lot of thoughts into uniforms and clothes and sounds and design that fully immerses it in Star Wars. So the final scene of the episode is they open the, the little white egg and inside we see baby Yoda and IG 11 wants to kill him, but the Mandalorian shoots him instead. And it ends just, just like that. Um, So it ends on a, a kind of a cliffhanger, not too dramatic of a one, but at the same time, very curious one that leads us into the next episode, which starts off where this one ended. So we will review that one, episode two, chapter two, uh, titled The Child, in our next Mandalorian review episode. Um, Any final thoughts on this first episode of The Mandalorian uh, before we we head out? Yeah, I'd just like to mention that I, uh, I thought this final scene that we just saw was really telling of, of the Mandalorian's character. You know, earlier in the show, we see him traveling with the first bounty and the, uh, and that character uh, almost seems to suggest that if he gives, you know, he asks him how much he's getting paid and he has lots of money. And I think when we think of a bounty hunter, we think of someone who's ruthless, which I definitely think the Mandalorian character is, he's tough, he's definitely tough. And he's, he's going to shoot first, so to speak. But he also, he, he's part of the, the, the Mandalorian group or this coven. And, and they definitely have uh, some type of sense of duty. Um, and he, because uh, you can tell that from that scene where he, he doesn't seem to, to, to acknowledge that he could take more money than what the bounty would have paid and, and let him go to this final scene where when the IG-11 character is about to assassinate young Yoda, um, he shoots him in the head, right? So both both a ruthlessness to just, pow, blow his brains out, so to speak, right there and then without even turning his head, but but to do it to save this, this uh, baby Yoda um, at the same time shows that, you know, there's, there's a lot of depth to this character which is exciting to see and, and look forward to knowing as a main character and we see develop. Yeah, some good points there. Yeah, that, that last scene I really loved. Um, just when you see IG-11 fall over on the floor with a smoking hole in his head, just like, wow, um, did not expect that. Um, you know, he just smoked a, former, or a, a, a fellow guild member, um, just, but that was awesome. A real throwback to uh, a lot of Westerns where, you know, there's only two at the ends, but we know there can only be one. And (laughs) the sense of honor that he has because his bounty is to bring him in alive and um, he's going to do it. He's an honorable character. He's obviously ruthless because in in the opening sequence, we saw that didn't hesitate to just just destroy some ruffians. Um, But he's a, he's a deep character. He's not one dimensional. There's a lot to him. 
and I'm excited to see more of him as they develop him. This might be one of the best character developments they've ever done. And there's so many places we can go with this and really excited to, for the rest of this season and, or, and then the next and the next and the next. Yeah, they've announced that they're going to do a season three. So at least get three seasons out of it. All right. So that's our review of The Mandalorian Chapter One and The Mandalorian. Uh, stay tuned for upcoming chapter reviews for this series. Thank you guys for joining us here on the Credible Nerds podcast. Please join us on patreon.com. Support us there. Just do a search for the Credible Nerds and you'll find us, as well as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, just search for us and follow us. Join in the conversation. Please check out uh, iTunes and review us there. Give us a, a good review. Be honest, but uh, we appreciate any reviews that you give us on our podcast. And we want to thank you guys for joining us once again. And we'll catch you next time. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Credible Nerds Podcast, a random angst production.